Amen. Take your Bibles, if you would, and I want you to turn to a familiar passage of Scripture, one I trust will be familiar to most of you. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. And if you know this verse, if you have it memorized, just say it with me. And uh, we'll just keep all the little ones here this morning. Uh, And uh, if they make a little bit of noise, I'll just preach louder. Amen? Uh, But let's uh, work on that. And uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. If you know this verse, uh, you could quote it along with me. Let's just together here. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Let's try that again. Everybody together. Here we go. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Now, how many of you, when something bad happens, have had this verse quoted to you or maybe even quoted this verse to yourself? Uh, you know, I began to think about this verse as the snowstorm began to pile up higher and higher. And, and <clears throat> then I realized, uh, as I was listening to the news broadcast, there were two people here in Queens that went out uh, uh, and began to fight the storm against the storm and ended up, uh, I told Andrew, they killed themselves with their shovels. And he's looking, how, how do you do that? Fall on it and I, and no, heart attacks, and, and have died because of, of uh, the struggle against uh, this storm that we have. And, and I wonder how many of us as Christians take things that God has put in our path and fight against them to our own hurt and our own destruction. And I, I looked at this verse here, and, and I would like for us to, to understand that God has put this verse in here for our comfort, but it, it might be in just a little bit different context and, and way that we traditionally think about this verse. Uh, I want us to look carefully. It says, and, and we know. Now, this is the third time in just a few verses that Paul uses this phrase, we know. Uh, the first time is in verse 22. He says, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And they call it global warming. Amen? Uh, that's just part of the conflicts in nature. Um, they talk about El Nino, and, and I heard the newest one this week. We had 15 years of global warming where the global warming did not register on the temperature gauge. Now, an honest scientist would just simply say it didn't exist. Uh, but they, they, they found out where it went. The deep ocean water where no light penetrates ate the temperatures. Now, that just elicits some very interesting pictures in my mind. How about you? As we go down 
hundreds of feet under the surface of the ocean to where it is black as a cave where no light penetrates, that dark, cold water somehow sucked the heat of the sun through the water above it without warming the water above it. I'll tell you what. Can I go by my standard on this? You have to go to school and be trained. That kind of dumb, that kind of stupid does not come by accident. Somebody's got to help you. Uh, It's a terrifying world. We know that there are going to be struggles in nature. Nature itself, the world in which we live, is groaning, is travailing in pain, is struggling against itself until the King of Kings sits upon His throne. In His city, the Son of David, ruling from Jerusalem, the Prince of Peace, ruling from the city of peace. And it will be a city not made with hands, whose foundation, which hath foundations. This was the city that Abraham looked for. The book of Revelation calls it the New Jerusalem. So, don't, don't be upset by storms and things that come in our way. It's just another testimony that your Bible is right. And, and we know this. Things are not right in this world because of sin. They have not been right since the Garden of Eden and will not be right. So, take it easy. Put on a back brace. Shovel slow. Get somebody to help you. You're not fighting against nature. Nature is fighting against itself. You know what? I I get a little upset every time I hear the phrase, Oh, Mother Nature is mad. I I love that song that the Marshall family sing. Uh, I don't know the exact words, but there ain't no such thing as Mother Nature. I know it was God. Does he use the word ain't in there? No, okay, I didn't think so. Had a little more education than I do. But... uh, the, the simple truth of the matter is, Paul, Paul says here, we know that creation is struggling against itself. It's travailing in pain until the Creator comes. It's just another sign that sin has tainted, has polluted this world in which we live. This is the first we know. And then... It talks about our salvation in verse 24. It says, For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? If if you could see and understand everything that is in this Bible, there wouldn't be anything left left. But God has saved us by hope. You know, I think one of the most disheartening things that I hear from our society today is this mentality and this idea that we are the pinnacle of all creation and of all time. Every generation has believed that about themselves. It's part of that sin nature that makes 
creation groan and travail, uh, we think we're smarter than our grandparents are. Uh, I'll tell you, we're not any smarter. In fact, we would be hard-pressed to rebuild the great pyramids of Egypt, even with all of our modern technology. Someone did uh, some uh, architectural measurements of the Great Pyramid there in, in Egypt and uh, then came to New York City and dealt with one of the modern marvels of the world at that time, the Empire State Building, and he found out that the Great Pyramid was more architecturally correct and more in alignment uh, uh, as far as the building process than the Empire State Building is. I thought that's pretty cool. Uh, we're not any smarter. We have more knowledge. I mean, you stop and think about I have more knowledge in my phone that I can access right now than my grandfather ever dealt with in his entire life. Does that make me smarter than he is or just a better bookkeeper? But you know something? This is not the end. This is not the final which It's going to get better. I'm hoping, someone says every once in a while, oh, I believe heaven is on earth. I said, boy, you don't believe in much, do you? I mean, look around you. I believe heaven's going to be a whole lot better than anything we can imagine or understand. It says we're saved by hope. And we haven't seen the dust that's scratched off the surface yet, my friend. But then we get to the second we know. It's in the middle of verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know, there we go, not. Do you get it? For we know not what to pray for as we ought. For we don't know. We know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. We do not know how we ought to pray. Now, I want you to be careful. One of the cop-outs is, Lord, thy will be done. And, and there are times when we should just pray that the Lord's will ought to be done. But there are many more times when we ought to spend enough time in this book to know what God's will is so that we can pray intelligently. you notice I did not say studying the circumstances that we're praying about. Or trying to ask people questions about what's going on in their lives. Those things are not part of this. You see, trying to know how we ought to pray is discerning the will 
of God. Someone once said, I don't believe the Bible tells us we ought to pray for other people to be saved. I said, no, that's not true. For the will of God is not slack, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. We're not willing that any should perish. God wants everyone to be saved, so you need to pray. Does that mean they'll get saved? No, it doesn't. We're not Calvinist. We do not believe God's will is unbreakable or untransgressible. We do know that God's will is the absolute best thing that could happen to you. Amen? And so we need to pray. But there are just going to be times when we need to admit that we don't know how that we ought to pray. And let the Holy Spirit do that praying for us. He maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Well, uh, uh, what do I do? This is going to be real spiritual. Could you try just sitting still? And, And may I just say, keep your mouth shut? Do you think that would allow the Holy Spirit to intercede for us a little better than He could otherwise? You see, we know that creation is travailing and writhing in pain and, and, and groaning until the day that the Creator comes and sets things right. There's a lot of things that we think we know that we don't know. And then we get to this we know and we know. Now, that means that the knowledge is attainable. And we know that one plus one equals two. Was anybody amazed by that incredible display of mathematical genius? We, we know that it is knowledge that everyone in here possesses, even Jason, right? Mm-hmm. He knows that. One plus one equals... Well, that's what Paul's saying here. Just like one plus one equals two, this is knowledge that we have. This is not something that is amazing. So why does every time something bad happens, somebody has to quote this verse? I just want to be a comfort to you. Well, don't you know something bad is happening to... Well, I want you to know that it's going to work together for good. Well, let's, let's examine this. But it says, and we know. Okay, this is knowledge that we have. And let's put it in the context. The preceding verses. God knows how we ought to pray. We don't. That's the context. That's what it's talking about there. It is the Holy Spirit of God when He has freedom to do His work in our hearts and soul 
That's what makes prayer work. Years ago, I remember a missionary story, and, and I'll try and... Uh, well, uh, uh, most of you may have heard it, don't, and those of you that haven't, don't worry about it. But it was a story about a man named Praying Hyde. And everywhere he went, he prayed, and miraculous things happened because of his prayers, and they would tell these stories. And uh, another such man was uh, an evangelist named Charles Finney to, uh, uh, in the middle, eight, early 1800s. I believe he died somewhere around 1840, 1850, and, and uh, they... Uh, talked about Charles Finney and that he had a man that would go into town before he would get there and he would rent out an apartment and he'd pray and he'd pray and he'd pray and he'd pray. And And then Charles Finney would come in and he would preach and, and miraculous things would happen. And there was just something in my soul that I, I've wrestled with over the years about that. And I've met different people who claim to have this special power of prayer. Doesn't this passage that we just read preach against that? It says we don't know how to pray as we ought to. It says the Holy Spirit's the one that makes prayer work. And so if that prayer is really working... If it's really God involved in our prayer life, it ought to be happening in such a way that nobody is looking at you and they're putting their attention on the Holy Spirit of God. Are, Are we together on this this morning? There's a verse in 1 John chapter 4, and we'll get to it in our study, that says, because as he is, so are we in this world. Do you remember how Jesus was in this world? The Pharisees looked at him and said, we're going to pick up stones and stone you because you're a man and you make yourself God. Jesus was so ordinary in his appearance that no one, would believe that he is God. What made the difference? A word called faith. What did Peter say? To whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. You know what Peter was saying? I have no clue what you're talking about, Lord. I don't understand it. But I'm sticking with you. Because I don't know any other place to go. That's how you get saved, isn't it? Amen? And I can't wait. Because one of the things that's going to happen to me when I get to heaven, one of the things I hope, am hoping for, it says we'll know as we are known. You ever been around somebody that's really smart? and they felt it their job to make you feel less smart than they do. You ever been around somebody like that? Uh, 
It just seems that their calling in life is to make everyone around them feel a little less intelligent than they are. Uh, I, I don't like people with that calling. Uh, but you know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to know everything. I'm not going to be questioning. I'm not going to be wondering. I'm going to stand beside one of those smart people and he'll be just another person like me in heaven. I I like that idea. Amen? There's hope for all of us. But this thing called prayer in the context of this verse about all things working together for good is the fact that if we do not have the Holy Spirit of God doing the work of interceding for us, prayer is not going to work in our lives. Could we say amen to that? You see, that's important to understand what this verse is talking about. We, we don't often go there. We don't make this connection. And so then, let's work, look at the proceeding verses, the verses after this, because Paul is always going somewhere with what he's teaching us. No verse is meant to be just pulled out and, and examined all by itself. It is in a context. And so we start in verse 29, the next verse. It says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God before us, who can be against us? Could you say amen to what Paul just said there? That's pretty pitiful. Let's try it again. Could you say amen? Do you believe those words? Now, there's a big word in there. It says God predestinated us. Now, I was talking with uh, Brother Mike and... He was at uh, the Buckley Road meeting in October, and I wasn't able to be there, but they had a preacher in preaching on Calvinism. And uh, he said, years ago, this is Brother James Alter from uh, Ohio, uh, he, he said years ago when he was a young man, he had been enamored with all the great books written by those who claimed to be uh, reformed in their theology. And, of course, you go into any library, any books about the Bible, it, it seems that people who have hold, hold to this idea of a reformed theology or Calvinism, they've written all the books. And he said, I wanted to study and know why they were wrong. And he said, I asked an old-time preacher what it is, and he said, you need to understand something. All Calvinists are liars. He said, that's a pretty strong statement. He said, that was pretty bold. He he said, I I, I didn't accept that. He said, and so I spent the next ten years studying everything. He said, you know what I found out? All Calvinists are liars. And I'll I'll tell you, it, it, it holds true. People... You can understand this. People who deny 
the authority of this book, your old King James Bible, you mark it down. They're being dishonest about something. People hold the Reformed theology. That seed, that thread runs. They're being dishonest about things. See, they talk about this word predestination and they pull it out and they make it say things that God never intended it to say. The word predestined means that God has a plan that he wants to fulfill in your life. Is that so hard? And that plan is for you to be conformed to the image of his son. God wants you to look like, to act like, to be like, Jesus Christ. Is that an amazing truth to anybody in this auditorium? It shouldn't be. But does that word predestinated mean that God has scripted everybody's life and you have no choice in the decisions that you make? You see, that's where the Calvinist, that's where the Reformed theologian begins his layers of deceit. Because that's not what that word means. You see, he wants Jesus to be the firstborn among many brethren. How many of you understand what that means? See, Jesus came to earth as a man. That's why he was born of Mary. As much a man as any one of us, man or woman, in this auditorium, Jesus is a human man. He was born into the human race, yet he is the very God of gods, the creator of this world, By Him all things consist. You say, I don't understand that. Good. If you did, you'd be as smart as God is. And I hate to pop your bubble, but you're not. None of us are. You see, God wants to make us worthy to be a member of His family. Isn't that an incredible promise? Uh, But he's got some changing to do before we get there. How many of you would say amen to that? Uh, There's got to be some things that, that have to happen. And Paul goes down through a short list here. He says, he called. Then he justified. And once he justified them, he glorified them. You see, what this verse is talking about is we know that we live in a world where things are not right and they're not going to be right until Jesus comes back and takes his position as Lord and ruler over this earth. In fact, we are in such a position that we do not even understand 
how prayer ought to work. And the real goal in our prayer needs to be a surrender of ourselves, a removing of ourselves and our desires so that the Holy Spirit can get the message across and so that our prayers won't be wasted. They'll be acceptable in God's sight. And we know that all things work together for good because God has predestinated us to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ so that when we do see that which we hope for, we will stand worthy of being called His brethren. You say amen to that? And that's where this verse comes in the middle of. You see, and we know, we have this knowledge. Has anything that I have said so far been shocking to you? It shouldn't be. It's just simple Bible. It's stuff that we know. That's what Paul's saying. We know. Okay? We know that all things work together for good for them. He is going to go through between verse 31 and the end of the chapter. And in fact, Andrew read that verse, uh, some of those verses as one of the promises as we say, as saying standing on the promises, there is nothing that can happen to you that can derail God's plan in your life. If you are saved today... God is going to fix you. Unfortunately, some of us may never realize the job until we leave this life. Because we'll fight against God and we'll struggle against the things that He wants to do in our life. And we won't surrender to those things and we're not going to get those things done to us, those changes, until we leave this life. That's, that's a sad testimony. You don't want to be there. You don't want to be among that number. Can we say amen to that? Now, here's what I want you to get. You see, we quote this verse when bad things happen to us, but this verse is not about things. The things that go on. And we, the reason we quote this verse, we, uh, we would use the, the word non-topical. They, they are ancillary. They're off on the sides. They're tangential, if you like mathematics. They're on the lines that go off the center. It says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. It's not the things that are causative. It's not the things that are changing us. It's God that is changing us, not the things. you got to get your eyes off the things and get them back on God. Can we say amen? That's what this verse is talking about. You see, we put our eyes on things all the time. You know why we put our eyes on things? Because they've got to be shoveled. Snow is a thing. 
And I got up early this morning and I went out there and started shoveling. And I am thankful that just a little while later, one of my sons came along to help me shovel. Amen. And a fellow that Stephen used to do some odd jobs for comes walking down holding two or three shovels and a bag of salt. And he says, I bet you miss Stephen right now. And I just nodded and smiled and said, yeah, and, and I do, but I'm glad Stephen's where he is. He needs to be where he is. But what I wanted to say, there wasn't time and had to keep shoveling things, you know. But was God's provided some other people to help. And we got it done. And I'm out there and... I'm sorry, I'll just tell you where my thought process is going. I'm over 50 years old, and I'm thinking about those two guys that had heart attacks shoveling snow. And I know my wife is thinking about those two guys that had heart attacks shoveling snow. And I don't like for my wife to worry about me doing something stupid. And I got the, it's not about the snow. I'm just going to shovel a little slower. I'm not fighting the weather. You see, things are not my providence is the word that we would use. That word means the area of my provision or control. That's why we use it oftentimes in reference to God. We would say, that's God's providence. Uh, That's God's provision. Uh, We would say that about the offering uh, that we received at Heartland Baptist Bible College for the Union Baptist. That was God's providence. He's the one that moved hearts. And the thing that is amazing to me is I'm still getting uh, calls and emails. In fact, one preacher said, Hello, my name is... Uh, brother so-and-so, you've never met me, but a preacher you know promised that we would send you money. And he said, I'm sending it. And he said, I hope I get to meet you someday. And I sent him a text back. I said, I hope I get to meet you too. I don't get out to the uh, West Coast very often, but uh, I, I pray the Lord will make our paths cross, but send the money anyway. No, I didn't say that. Uh, let me tell you, things are what we wrap around because we think we can do something about things. And you know what? You can't do anything about things. You can't stop the snow. Now, there are some things that God wants us to do. You know what Andrew and I were doing on Friday? And Brother Newberger? We were up in the ceiling, tr- the roof trusses at the Union Baptist Church. Uh, we found some of them, after 150 some years, had cracks. And I called the engineer. Well, three out of 48. And uh, I said, I, I got an idea of what we can do. And when I finally was able to explain the engineer what I thought about, he said, That sounds like a good idea. Go do it. So that's what we did Friday. You know what? God expects us to do things. He expects us to think about things, but He expects us to leave them in His hands. 
You see, there's two provisionals in this verse. There's two causative agents that, that we need to be concerned with. There are two areas this verse deals with that are not in the providence of God, but are in the providence of each of us as individuals. And that is the area that we need to be concerned about. We've got to stop being so concerned about things because here's what God wants us to be concerned about. And we know that all things work together for good for them that love God. Do you know that your love for God is an area in your life that God has put under your direction and He expects you to make provision and supply for that issue. That's why the first letter He wrote to the first church in the book of Revelation, the church at Ephesus, what was the charge of Jesus Christ against His church? It was that they had left their first love. And he said, if you don't get back and do the original works, I'm taking your candlestick out and you're no longer going to be my church. I don't know any more fearful words to think about, to contemplate than that. You can't lose your salvation. (coughs) Excuse me. But a church can lose its candlestick status. Because they left their first love. And we know that all things work together for good for them. That love God. I believe there's a connection here. I believe this is what God is trying to really get us to focus on. And I'm sorry, it just seems like all of the messages, even as we're going through First John and, and Sunday morning sermons and, and, and things just keep following this go and, and, and this theme and And I'm just going to stick with it until God gives me peace about changing it. If ye love me, what? Keep my commandments. If ye love me, keep my commandments. You know, if you really stop and think about it, How many things in your life has God just left up for you to make your decision about it without aid and direction from this book called the Bible? There's not a lot. There's not a lot of things that God has not given you direction on. He's given you direction on the places you go. Somebody once asked me, what what is your recovery program? More than one. And I said, well, we've got a very active recovery program at Open Door Bible Baptist Church called Sunday morning, Sunday night, Thursday night, visitation, discipleship, uh, a family night, family fun night, and then... Revival meetings, admissions conference. So you get all that stuff in there, you're not going to have a lot of room. So my whole life is going to be run by the church. Uh, 
Maybe that's God's plan. To conform you to the image of His Son. So that when He gets you to heaven, you're going to fit in. It has something to do with keeping His commandments, doesn't it? Doesn't the Bible give you instructions on how you ought to dress? How about how you ought to think? Read Philippians chapter 4. There's verse upon verse there. I mean, there's not much in your life that God doesn't give you commandments concerning. And Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. In this verse it says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. And yet, we want God to work in our life. And we go out and we do things our way in total rebellion is the word. When it's on purpose, it's rebellion. There's no other word for it. When you choose to go against things in the Bible, that's the only word that fits. And then we wonder why things don't work out. You see, what we've got to do is we've got to work on this loving God. This is within the realm of our provision. This is something that we are supposed to do. This is something that occurs in the little, minute, daily decisions that nobody else really knows or cares about. What's the first commandment? Thou shalt have No other gods before me. What did Jesus say the great commandment was? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And you know what? That ties in so perfectly with the second part of this. To them that are the called according to his purpose. You know, whoops, have you ever asked God why? Concerning a circumstance, concerning a problem, concerning a thing that has been put in your path, have you ever just looked at it and said, Lord, why is this happening to me? I hope no one in this room is among the number that their first response to every bad thing is, Oh my God. It's not his fault. Number one. Number two. He's got a plan. If you want to talk about God's will for your life, it's to conform you to the image of his Son so that when we get to heaven... You will fit in when they line up Jesus and say, Jesus said, this is my brethren. To be named in that group is an amazing thing. Corinthians, it says, Wherefore come ye out from among them and be ye separate. 
He says, and I'll be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. You see, to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. Revelation 4.11 says that everything was created for his pleasure. When is the last time you gave God the benefit of the doubt? Instead of accusing God of having done something that isn't in your best interest. You see, this is an area that is in your providence. This is an area that you and I have to work in. You read the rest of the Romans chapter 8 and it talks about tribulation and distress and persecution and famine and nakedness and peril and sword. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. I'll tell you what, that doesn't sound too encouraging. How about you? But it says, nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. You see... To them that are the called according to his purpose. Are you surrendered to God's purpose in your life? Now we talk about preachers being called. And I believe in a call to the ministry. But I believe that God has a direction, and I would even use the word calling, except for the fact that it may confuse it in some people's minds, but I believe that God has called my wife to be my wife. I think I've told this story before, we were engaged to be married, and uh, all of a sudden, she began to act a little strange, and, and I tried to inquire, and we sat down, finally had a discussion, and she was having doubts that God had called her to New York City. And she knew that that's where I was going. And said, how do I deal with this? And, and this may sound just a little on the arrogant side, but it was never intended that way. I looked at her and I prayed. I mean, I said, what am I supposed to do? I mean, uh, this, this is a deal breaker here. And, and then the Lord just literally said, wait a minute. God doesn't call you to New York City. He called me to New York City. I said, I'm your calling. And I said, oh, man, that was really dumb now, wasn't it? And a big smile broke across her face and she said, I can handle that. And she has all these years and all these kids and all these problems, all these things. Because see, she was working on loving God and being called according to his purpose. You see, that's how you don't get weary in well-doing. 
say, but I, I, I don't see God's purpose. Well, can I ask you a question? How many parts does your body have? Church is like a body, isn't it? They tell us there's 10 trillion souls. I mean, cells in a body. I'm glad there's not 10 trillion souls in our church. The administration issues would be just a little more than... uh, And the Lord knows what he's doing. But do you know there's just parts of your body that are just there? That you don't even think about? That seemingly do really nothing. I have yet to find out one scientific explanation for an earlobe. Except as you get old, they get big. And no, I'm not going to grow hair and cover it up. I'm just going to leave them. uh, Get this long, I'll, I'll just know that I'm old. Amen? And you think about that. What in the world does this thing do? Until you see one of them freaks walking down the sidewalk with a dish plate stuck in it or uh, something like that. And and then you say, I know it's not for that. (laughs) Amen. Is there... Is there anything wrong with just being there? Do you know that you encourage people? I mean, look how many people made it in the snow today. I I didn't believe we'd have half this many people. Oh, ye of little faith. Different one. You didn't drive, did you? Oh, no, we just took the train. Hey, guess what? Some people said, I walk. I said, you walk from there? Yeah. Praise the Lord. And we're together here. And what I wanted for the sermon this morning was for us to be able to get our eyes off things and focus on God. You see, this verse works. Things become non-topical when I love God and when I realize He's got a purpose. And by the way, that purpose is directed by the words that are in this book. That's His purpose. That's His calling. And, And I've got to trust Him with His purpose. And sometimes he makes me sit and be still. Lord gave us a printing press years and years ago. I said, in answer to prayer, we can actually get tracks. Because at that time we were going down to Staples and black and white copy on cheap paper and folding it at home. That was our, that was our track at that time. That's the best we could do. Uh, Printing was not cheap like it is today, 23 years ago. It was expensive. And and, and to watch people just throw them on the ground and in the trash when you're paying 10 cents a piece is crazy. And uh, say, oh, Lord, you're giving us a press. We're going to print. 
Do you know how to run a press? No. Uh, and the Lord sent us Dave Rodriguez. He printed over a million tracks for our church on that old printing press. And when I talk about old, I mean old. This was a 1940s era press that had been revamped uh, to update it a little bit. And uh, we were probably somewhere in the 50s now. Uh, uh, old, old technology. But I'll tell you what, it still worked. You know that thing sat in storage for two years till the printer showed up. And I'm just sitting there going, Lord, why don't you give us a press? And nobody will run it. This is this, this ain't right. Well, you know what I was doing? I was thinking about things. And what I needed to be doing was loving the Lord and realizing the purpose He called us to to start a church. And if we needed tracks, by the way, we got over a million tracks out of that old press. Uh, I think God used that thing to get something done. Amen? But you know how much I had to do with that? I couldn't touch Dave Rodriguez's heart and get him to move down here and get himself a job and support himself and then print for us all night after he'd worked all day. Only God could do that kind of stuff. And so, we got to get out of the way. My wife can tell you how much time I spent looking for a building before God gave us this one. And the reason I believe God had me spend all that time is so that when I came here, I would know that there was no other way to go. There is not another building like this in Astoria. You can look. Uh, There are some similar ones, but if you get looking close... They would not do well for what we are doing. They cost twice as much and give us half as much use as what we get right here. There's not another place like this. In fact, you couldn't build this building on this lot today if you had Donald Trump's money. The zoning and all the rules have changed. You can't do it. But God put us here. God takes care of the things... If you'll take care of loving Him and understanding that you're called according to His purpose and the things that are happening to you have a purpose and a direction in you. It's number one, making sure that you understand you don't know how to pray as you think you do. There are things that are going on in this world that you don't have the answers for. There are things that are going on in people's lives around you that you have no business reaching into. You need to take care of your love for God and His calling according to your calling according to His purpose. And see, that purpose is serving in and through the local church. Study your Bible. From Acts chapter 2 to Revelation chapter 4, everything that is in your New Testament is by, through, and for a local church. A visible assembly. That's how we're supposed to serve Him. And see, when we serve Him that way, God does miraculous things. That only he can.
can get credit for. And as we look at those things, we need to understand that my part, my only part, can be getting myself out of the way so that the Holy Spirit can work in other people's lives instead of me. So that I can keep His commandments instead of encouraging others to do things that I'm not doing. That's called hypocrisy. So that I can trust God with circumstances that He has put in my life Because he's got a calling and a purpose and a direction for me. That even if he calls me to walk through that veil of suffering, one of these days he's going to call me to walk through that valley of the shadow of death. Unless Jesus comes back first. Let's be concerned about what God has put in our providence and leave those things that are in God's providence to God. Then we could quote this verse in context and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are the called according to His purpose. And all God's people said, Heavenly Father, we come before you. Lord, I would pray that the Holy Spirit would be able to apply this message to our individual lives. Lord, I I pray that the Holy Spirit have freedom to convict in each heart here as he has in mind in the preparation of this message. And Lord, if we as the church at Ephesus need to get back and examine our loss of our first love, Lord, let us do that this morning at an old-fashioned altar. If we've got a problem trusting your calling, your direction, And Lord, we would re-surrender to you. Lord, if, if we got a problem playing the Holy Spirit this morning, that we would just surrender ourselves to you. And that we would learn to be quiet and to let God do his work instead of trying to do it for him. Lord, this huge, huge passage here. Lord, I ask that you would work in our church. That as individuals and as a church, we could be conformed to the image of your Son. That you would use this time while we're alive on this earth to prepare us and make us fit to stand in that assembly that Jesus names as his brethren. Oh, Lord, humble us. Help us 
to reach and to grapple with these great truths. Let them press us that Your glory may be seen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together, Andrew, if you...